25 years on the PGA Tour and a lifetime member of the PGA Tour and PGA of America. Jay Delsing brings you his perspective on one of the world's greatest games as a professional golfer and network broadcaster. It's the game that connects the pros and the average Joes. Brought to you by Whitmore Country Club. Golf with Jay Delsing is now on 101 ESPN. On the Range is brought to you by 20 Minutes to Fitness. Good morning. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. I am your host, Jay. I've got my buddy John Perlis here with me, longtime friend, Caddy. Perley, good morning. Good morning, Jay. Let's get it rolling. What's going on? How are you this morning? Did you get to do any of what did you what what sort of exciting things did you get to do this morning before the show? Did you do any meditation? I always I do mean, my meditation. Not... I always do my meditation. That's 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 how I get centered and ready to roll with you every morning. All right, perfect. Well, the show's formatted like a round of golf. This first segment is called the On the Range segment. Please look for these uh, outlets on social media. Twitter is at Jay Delsing. Facebook is uh, Golf with Jay Delsing. And Jay Delsing Golf LinkedIn is just Jay Delsing. It's a lot of Jay Delsings, Pearly. And Instagram is a mystery. Man, Pearl, I looked back and started reviewing some of the interviews that we had for this first year. And we we just we had to do a second best of show. You were. Su- I loved how you were surprised at how good the interviews were. You know, when we did the, through the whole first year here, getting your feet wet in the radio oh, business man. And, and getting and they're there. not wet. They're they're still wet. They're not. Well, and it's there. not just the interview. It's the technology behind it. It's saving it properly. It's the rhythm behind it. It's there's there's just a lot more to it. So I just loved when you listened back, reflected on the year, listened back to the uh, to the interviews. And you impressed yourself. I'm, 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 I think that's cool. Well, you know what? Just trying to decide. We're sitting there last night, you know, talking about this, trying to decide which three, and it's that, no. it just doesn't seem right. So, folks, we've got an, another Best of show. So we've got an interview that we had last year with Jim Cavanaugh, CEO of Worldwide Technology. It's just terrific. Great stories in that interview. That was that was fun. That was That's kind of the prototypical or what we were after the whole time. It, it just encompassed everything. All right, so enjoy this interview with Jim Cavanaugh with Worldwide Technologies. Well, Jim, in 1986, you were the second player picked overall in the MISL draft of Major Indoor Soccer League. What a thrill that had to be. Yeah, it really was, Jay. You know, I was uh, uh, extremely fortunate to get picked, you know, second in the draft. And I will tell you, growing up, playing on a lot of different teams. I was cut on a number of different times. So I, I would say, you know, perseverance and hard work absolutely does pay off. And it doesn't mean you're going to be the second pick or you're you're going to have success. And what, but I'll tell you this, it definitely gives you your probability of being successful in whatever you do if you, you bring that kind of, grit and determination and work ethic the probability of success whether in sports our 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 general work is is going to be better and uh that was one thing uh you know i could have gave up when i was growing up uh because i was caught a number of different times with different teams and got a good you know the good fortune of barely getting asked at the last minute to get a scholarship to st louis university and from that standpoint uh uh, Harry Keough at the time saw something in me and I uh, played every game and every minute for him. And that literally uh, created some opportunity that some of the Olympic team coaches saw me play. And, uh, you know, and I, and you just kind of, you know, it's, it's another lesson learned. I would say it's just 
taking those opportunities when they present themselves and recognizing it and jumping on it. Uh, and uh, that's what I did. And it kind of catapulted me into a position where I had the good fortune of being picked in the second uh, as the second overall pick in the 1986 draft, which I was, I was very fortunate to get that. I, I mean, Jim, playing on the Olympic team, I mean, what a thrill that is. But one of the things that you said that rings so true to me is um, – I think Jack Nicholas said, the harder I work, the luckier I get. And um, with no, some it, of your successes, yeah. I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, no, you're spot on. And it, it you know, I, I, it's, you know, it, it's such a simple, simple statement, but it is so true. And I think there's, you know, again, a lot of people that don't completely understand. It doesn't mean that every thing that you do is going to turn to success but i can assure you if you build into your own personal habits into your dna that you know you just you don't run from hard work you run to hard work and you learn to enjoy that and and those things you know over time opportunity will present itself uh and you you need to take advantage of those opportunities Uh, but a lot of times those opportunities don't present themselves unless you're willing to put the time effort and, and, and work into it. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's something that everybody can take and, and learn to, you know, the importance of, of hard work, grit, and determination, because I think it, uh, it, it pays off for everybody. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And you know what's interesting, Jim? There's a couple of things. You have to put yourself out there, don't you? You really have to have some stretch goals, and you have to have this dream or something similar that, that gives you some of those, what some people might have looked at, at least they did in my case, you know, kind of crazy ambitions. And then as I look at the back at the failures, I think I learned so much more about myself through them than some of the successes. No question, Jay. I, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a hard one. I've been, uh, uh, thinking about those different things. I actually just uh, finished reading a book uh, called, uh, the obstacle is the way, uh, and it, you know, basically the moral of the story is, uh, you know, if you're, if you set your mind, uh, in the right way that, you know, where you actually embrace challenges and you embrace obstacles that are in your way, you will get better. And that's how you do get better. You too, you will get, you will probably learn a lot more from your challenges and your setbacks than you will from things that became easy and you had great success with. So uh, I, I think that is very true. And I, and I would say even the, my point as long as, you know, I've been a part of the game, but uh, the game of soccer, but also just a part of business, uh, creating this mindset that you want to constantly learn and you want to constantly get better. And I think that can be a trap. You as a professional golfer, uh, the same thing applies in soccer and the same thing applies in business. I think one of the biggest uh, uh, problems or I would say hurdles that people can run into is when they think that they've mastered the game or they think that they've mastered uh, being a leader and running a business, that's when I think you start you know, you will start running into problems because I think you got to create that mindset that you're always trying to learn and get better. Well, for me, Jim, that kind of would breed complacency. And I can remember some of the times when I was playing my best, if I didn't stay up with doing the things that got me there, 
I'd fall right back into the same bad habits. Yes. And, you know, that's, that's another, you know, it's another one of those. I mean, you, you push yourself to, to learn and get better. But uh, as you know, Jay, I mean, and boy, and I'll tell you, golf is a, is, can be a penalizing game. Uh, talking about a, a game of inches and tweaks uh, that, you know, can impact, you know, your swing and, and just all kinds of things. Uh, but I think those good habits, uh, you know, learning what good habits are all about, learning how to put those in play and to make sure you never forget them. Uh, just go a long way in both sport and in uh, business and leadership. Yeah, I have to say, you know, you talked about your dad and, and the, the, the values that your parents instilled in you, and I think having that as part of your toolbox, so to speak, is just, you know, one of the things that I love about growing up in North County. It was it was pretty much blue-collar, and it was um, uh, it, it, some of those things are just priceless now as I look back at them. Yeah, they really are, uh, and I, I, I would not, I would not give away any of that. I, you know, I, I think the, I had the good fortune of having two, still have two great parents who, uh, who taught me so much, whether they realized it or not. And uh, some of those things were around, like I said, just, you know, being, being loyal, being respectful, uh, hard work. Uh, being willing to, you know, grind things out, uh, you know, and those those are just, I, I think, things that, you know, you if you can build those into just who you are and what's important, uh, they they can apply to to so many different so many different things. And I think, you know, whether people realize it or not, I think also uh, going through some tough times, you know, whether you know personally or business or sport. Uh, they may not feel so good when you're doing it, but uh, they will make you stronger. And I think it's just reflecting back on some of those things and recognizing, you know, uh, those values and behaviors that 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 uh, that are very important to you as an individual and can be very important to your own personal success. Yeah, Jim. If, if we kind of transition now in 1990, your, your business career um, kind of took off. I'd really love to hear how you and David Stewart kind of met, but man, when when I hear your name mentioned around town and in circles, it's always about, man, this guy is so down to earth. He's so one of us. He's so um, authentic. And then I, I look in one of the things that in your core values with your business, it's most important to you is the word trust. And 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 you're so concerned about the culture at Worldwide Technologies. And I've had the great fortune of being with some really amazing companies, or, uh, especially here in town, like Enter- Enterprise and Emerson and even Worldwide. And when you're with a, a company that has great culture, it is a whole different world to live in. Yes. Uh, no, I, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, again, a lot of things that whether it's growing up personally and, and learning some of those, I, I would say those values and behaviors, uh, you know, and applying those in, you know, playing as, as an athlete uh, and, you know, uh, also uh, working as a, a, a member of a team, whether it's in sport or it's in business, those things are incredibly important to me. And, 
I also, I also believe, you know, creating a culture, you know, I can tell you, you know, first starting a business, I really didn't even understand what culture meant relative to a business. I understood there were different cultures, you know, around the world, but what did that really mean? Uh, I can't say that, you know, that was something I really understood when we first started. What I did understand was that, you know, you, you, you need to treat each other, you know, with respect and you need to always, you know, and, and have each other's back and be willing to work hard and to be work and, you know, and always looking out to work as a team because, you know, that's what business is, is about. It's bringing individuals together and working collectively and collaboratively to deliver outcomes that are much bigger than the individuals uh, working individually or separately. And so, you know, moving forward, a big part of that, I've clearly figured out how do you create an organization of individuals that come together collectively as a team. And that then when you start looking at that's growing, that becomes the culture. And that culture has to be based on a certain set of values and behaviors that you expect your organization to live and breathe uh, on a daily basis. And that can permeate and proliferate globally. We have people all over the world, whether it's in the U.S. or China or Brazil or, you know, London and, you know, Singapore. And those same values and behaviors we expect, and they're, you know, very simple to, to build that, you know, trust and have a high level of integrity, how you work with each other. So when I look at it, you know, you brought up the, the word trust. I think it is such an important word. Uh, and if you have it, things can move forward very quickly. You can make decisions quickly. You can work through challenging situations quickly uh, and collaboratively. If you don't have it, things tend to take much longer and at times come to a screaming halt or a screeching halt uh, because people can't make decisions because they're not sure what someone else is thinking or what their ulterior motive is. So uh, I look at that and it's really, really important to, 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 to build an organization that is a great place to work and to make sure that those foundation, foundational values and the behaviors are understood and are executed against. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned one that um, I'm glad people feel that I'm uh, a, a fairly down-to-earth individual. And, you know, growing up, you know, as we have uh, in a working-class family, and I don't believe that anybody's better than anybody. It just so happens that I've got a title and a role uh, that says I'm the CEO. And to a certain degree, that means I, I have responsibility to make sure everybody treats each other with respect and there is no hierarchical class but at the end of the day also someone has to make decisions and difficult decisions at times so uh you know but that doesn't mean you you look at anybody differently well let's talk about this story for a minute on on this show we love telling stories and and i did some digging and do you mind telling us about the time early early in your career would you rented a truck and drove some uh, PCs to Omaha? Yeah, that was a, <laughs> kind of a funny story. It was, you know, many, many years ago. But, but, you know, it's in kind of in the spirit of the mantra of we've had it worldwide for years and years and years of doing whatever it takes. And you kind of go through those peaks and valleys of things. And, 
you know, as we mentioned, there were opportunities that presented themselves. So we were at this point, I think it was probably like in 94, 95, so, that we were building PCs in a building that's not too far from where we are today, where I'm at at my corporate headquarters at our corporate headquarters. And uh, we built, we were building PCs on, on the weekend. And then uh, we had two customers up in Omaha, the uh, U.S. Corps of Engineers and STRATCOM, uh, Strategic Air Command, uh, were two of our customers and uh, myself and Joe Koenig, who you know, I went to college with, both played soccer together. We, he's working here. Joe's the president. Uh, we, we wanted to provide a higher level of service and understand exactly how some things work. So we packed up uh, the, the PCs over the weekend on Sunday, Sunday morning, and drove the truck, the U-Haul truck, up to Omaha with about 500 or so PCs. Uh, to deliver to these these two customers and it was kind of funny when we got up there the next morning when we were delivering them we we basically went and delivered the pcs first thing in the morning we were in jeans and a t-shirt and delivered the pcs and then uh when we were done delivering to the warehouse we had our suits in the back of the u-haul truck so <laughs> we were in the back by the loading dock and we went in the back and got in the back and uh took off our jeans and our our t-shirts whatever we delivered and then put a suit and tie on in the back and came out of the back of u-haul truck and the guys that were back there uh smoking a cigarette at the doctor <laughs> were looking at us kind of laughed and saying weren't you the two guys that walked in and were delivering the pcs and we're like yeah yeah we had the same one now we got to go make a sales call to uh some of the some of the you know it and procurement folks so uh so it's, you know, it's just one of those stories, you know, in that process, uh, I will have to say, you got to be careful, do things that you're good at. Fortunately, Joe said, be careful. I, as we were driving this truck, uh, we were going through an underpass or, or under an overpass. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, we did stop because if we had went forward, the truck would not have made it. We'd end up running <laughs> into it. So, so we had to back up and go another direction. So. But it's, uh, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, as whether an athlete or in business, uh, the mindset, you know, has got to be, you've got to be willing to do whatever it takes at that point in time, you know, to drive the business uh, forward. And that was exactly what we've done numerous times here at Worldwide. It just, you know, it just didn't all fall together. It's, <laughs> it's we've had our uh, trials and tribulations over the years, and you just got to have that kind of mindset to to work through those things. Okay, that I love that interview. Man, I could listen to the whole thing again. Well, that's going to wrap up the On the Range segment. Um, come back because Jay and John are be with you here uh, as we go to the front nine, and we are going to listen to an interview from Taylor Twelman. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. Quick note, we just got a call from our friend Joe Sheezer at USA Mortgage. He said the rates are still below 4%, and if you mention Golf with Jay Delsing, He'll give you a discount on your closing costs. Please call him today at 314-628-2015. Do you folks know about a family-owned and operated jewelry business that's been in the St. Louis area since 1946? If you haven't heard the name Sutley before, well, you have now. They are the premier Hearts on Fire dealer in the metropolitan region and have been for more than 21 years. What's a Hearts on Fire diamond, you ask? It is the world's most perfectly cut diamond. The Sutleys are knowledgeable and passionate about your jewelry needs and are open six days a week. 
They will treat you like family and want to understand your wishes and desires. Their business thrives on developing personal relationships with you. Sully's also strive to stay on top of the latest trends in fashion with amazing selection of designer jewelry from famous designers like Lagos, Zengani, Simon G., just to name a few. It's all done at Sully's. Sully's is on the cutting edge of the diamond business, featuring the lab-grown diamonds that can cost 30 to 40% less than a mined diamond. Whether it's a hearts on fire, designer or custom jewelry, or even the new and innovative lab-grown diamonds, let Sutley Jewelers take care of all your jewelry needs. I have known this family for 45 years. Go in and see Gary. Ask for Gus. Ask for Laura. It's a family business, and they are terrific people. They're located in the Lamp and Lantern Village on Clayton Road, just west of Highway 141 in Town & Country. You can also visit them at saettele.com. Hi, it's Jay Delsing here to tell you about a strength training program that helped me get back on tour. It can improve your game and your overall fitness, too. And all it takes is 20 minutes once a week. I'm talking about the golf fitness program at 20 Minutes to Fitness. It targets the muscle groups used in golf. It strengthens your obliques, the muscles used during the golf swing, as well as your back and your leg muscles. It increases your flexibility and range of motion and it builds cardio fitness and helps relieve back pain. I know because I've done it myself now for over eight years. Because you work out with a trainer on physical therapy equipment, it also reduces the chance of exercise-related injuries to almost zero, and it's safe no matter what kind of shape you're in. You need to try it to believe it. Your first session is free. 20 Minutes to Fitness is in Clayton and in Chesterfield. To learn more, visit 20minutestofitness.com. 20 Minutes to Fitness, it works for me. You're listening to Golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. You can find Jay online at jdelsinggolf.com. Welcome back to Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm your host, Jay. i got John Perlis here with me, and we're on the front nine, Perley. Um, let's just go right into the Taylor Twillman interview. This is my nephew, and this guy is just doing... Terrific work on ESPN as a lead soccer analyst. It's hard to to uh, to not embrace his passion. As a competitive guy like you are, I mean, who doesn't want to play on the best stage? And I mean, it, it, you can't even argue the best stage is is over in Europe, and and Germany is a huge part of the EPL. And I mean, you know, it was exciting for all of us. And um, then you come back, and you're the second overall pick for the New England Revolution, and, um, man, you had just such a great career in the MLS from 2002 to 2009, five-time All-Star. You were the league MVP in 2005, MLS Golden Boot recipient that year as well. Um, you played 174 goal games in that, that uh, league and scored 101 goals, which is incredible. And it, that awesome bicycle kick in 2007 against the Chicago Fire to put you guys in, into the um, MLS Cup. Yeah, it, to lose our fourth MLS Cup, Jay, so I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, I was I was going to leave that to you. But, <laughs> but I mean, Surprised you didn't introduce me as the Jim Kelly of Major League Soccer. That would have been more fitting. Well, we could redo this again if you want to try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good stuff. And, um, the collision in 2008 will never leave my mind. That you uh, you had a brutal collision with the LA Galaxy keeper Steve Cronin, and um, it was pretty much the slide for the, for the the numerous concussions you had. I can remember you running 
I don't know how you got up. I was sitting next to your dad. I'm like, oh, my gosh, at least he got up, and, and you're bleeding, I think, from under your eye, and you look to Sharif Joseph and said, I got another concussion. And I, yeah. I, I never remember, never forget those words coming out of your lips. Your dad and I are sitting there, and we're like, oh, man. And, um, but what a, what a great career. And, and you know what's, what's really cool, Taylor? Maybe this is a good segue into the Think Taylor portion. You have a phenomenal foundation. Uh, bringing concussion and just head injury awareness in general uh, to this country and to to use all over. Talk a little bit about Think Taylor. Yeah, it's weird, Jay. Um, you know, you you can go through your career um, as an athlete, and whether you're a very good amateur athlete and end up becoming a pro, or whether you're not, and you, your career ends at a certain stage, whether it's high school or or college. You, any athlete, and I know you know this better than anyone, you think um, your greatest accomplishment, your greatest, uh, I think, recognition is always going to be on the field. And ironically, for me, it's not. And I thought I would always be remembered for whether it was the goals I scored or the trophies you win or the moment you had with the national team, whatever that may be. And It's not. In a weird way, um, August 2008, was the greatest gift ever given to me. And it because that concussion at that time of American sports and professional sports in general, there was no education. There was no awareness. Uh, we were still doing barbaric tactics, uh, techniques, excuse me, to bring athletes back on the field. And even though we're sitting here in 2019, there's still some of those things that resonate with people. But at least the education awareness is there. I, I've struggled to this day uh, with post-concussion syndrome, but I felt the only way to actually maximize, as crazy as that sounds, the injury and the circumstance was actually to help others. And I don't say this um, in a way that's you know, putting myself on a pedestal, but the reality is this. is the Major League Soccer MVP in Boston, Massachusetts, which is arguably the medical capital of the United States of America, cannot get proper treatment and cannot get the proper recognition, well, then you tell me what the millions of kids are going to do in our country, Jay. No matter what the sport is, gymnastics, uh, horseback riding, cheerleading for girls, soccer, baseball, basketball, football, hockey, field hockey, no matter what it is, if I can't get it, well, then what are they going to do? So I basically have said, you know what, I'm going to start a foundation. It's simply education and awareness. And in 2018, we had almost 5 million kids take the Think Taylor Pledge. And the pledge is basically telling kids to take ownership of their brains and to tell parents to get the heck out of the way. And if any parent is not educated, that's on you because it's 2019. You can't blame the doctors, the coaches, anyone else. It's on you. So if your kids aren't educated, then that's on you. And it's really resonated as opposed to going the other way, Jay, and saying CTE, Junior Seau was a real good friend of mine, and obviously it, it went the wrong way for him. And for the listeners at home, if you haven't seen his story, 30 for 30 on ESPN+, Plus, it's an unbelievable story. But, Jay, I didn't want to do that because it doesn't also mean that anyone gets a concussion, you're also going to kill yourself and commit suicide. That's, that's not how this works. So I've gone about it a different way, and I think it's resonating with some people. And Taylor, how can our listeners um, get involved and stay in touch with the, the Think Taylor organization? The first, it's a great question, Jay. First and foremost, ask questions of your, uh, of your kids. Ask questions of your kids' organizations. 
doesn't matter the sport, doesn't matter the activity. Actually, ask the schools. Make sure there's a concussion protocol. Make sure everyone is well-versed on that. But most importantly, don't be scared to say you're not educated, you don't understand. There's well, well-versed well um, medical papers out there. ThinkTaylor.org, you can come to us. We'll redirect you. Um, but the CDC does a wonderful job. But just, just become educated and help spread the word that we need to take ownership of our brains. Because the one thing is, Jay, and you're an athlete and you've had surgeries and everything, we only get one brain. Now, mine may be a little bit smaller than others, but besides the point, you only get one. And so that's the one thing you can't have surgery on. If it's an ankle, knee, back, shoulder, elbow, I don't care. That you can play with. But you get one brain, we need to make sure our kids have the best opportunity where their brains uh, can grow. When they were passing out brains, I thought they said train, and I got on one. I don't think I got one. <laughs> no, that's really great stuff, Taylor. And I, I, I got to make a transition to your ESPN career, lead soccer analyst there. You're hosting the MLS Rewind and just doing a great uh, job. And it's so cool how all this ties in to the foundation. And, and now we're going to get to talk a little bit about golf. And um, what the listeners may not realize is what a great golfer you are. You're probably a scratch right now. Are, are you a plus handicap at this time? I know you. Uh, Jay, you know those handicaps. It's a, it's a plus point two, but what does that really mean? I'm still, you're still giving me seven strokes, buddy, <laughs> if not eight. So what does it matter? Right, and we're family. We don't pay off anyway. So <laughs> if we play a million dollars a hole, and it ends up being an IBC root beer. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it is. Um, uh, so, Taylor, tell me a little bit about why you love the game. I mean, one of the things that I think is so cool and I think our listeners will be interested in is um, um, golf seems to be the go-to sport for everybody, all these great athletes when they um, retire. I was visiting with Brett Hall a little while back, and uh, – he just said he, he couldn't wait to start playing golf, and he couldn't wait till his hockey career ended. He just loved the game so much. It gave him something to focus on. And uh, how does that um, – does that kind of replace any of your competitive juices? Absolutely. Absolutely, Jay. It's a, great, it's a great question. First off, my love of golf came from you. Um, I, I don't think many people understand – that when you're 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and you're growing up and you're literally opening and any one of my family members would tell you tell you this, Jay, and you know this story. I read the newspaper, the sports page at age, age 6. Big reason why? My mom and dad wanted to know what Jay Delsing shot in the tournament. So I found my way learning golf through that. Now, I, my also big love was baseball. So at a younger age, Baseball was such a huge part of my life that golf kind of fell to the side. So that's where my love started. And then it went away, Jay. I honestly didn't play golf from age 14, my freshman year of high school, all the way till I came back from Germany. And so there was a solid eight to nine years where I maybe played ten rounds. So golf went away. It came back when I came back to the States. But I think what you talk about is, is interesting. Brett Hall's of the world. And first off, how many hockey players are good at golf? That's the hand-eye coordination. We can go into that. That's completely different. But, Jay, for me, and I think for a lot of pro athletes that I now play with, a lot of it is, Jay, we played in team sports. You didn't. And I think secretly a lot of us would have liked to just play in a sport where, you know what, control what you can control. On the other hand, my respect for golfers and the sport of golf is 
I don't think golfers get enough credit because I could score two goals, Jay, and miss five breakaways, and yet at the end of the day, if we won 2-1, I was a hero. If you miss two seven, eight-foot putts for par or for birdie, that changes. You're not looking at anyone but yourself. And I also don't think qualifying for the PGA Tour in Q School gets enough credit. That is arguably, in my opinion, the most difficult thing in professional sports in our country and so when I looked at golf, for me, it was about perseverance. It was about individual controlling what I can control. And ultimately now, Jay, it's the only thing athletically that I can do because of my post-concussion condition. And, I, you know, you and I come from the same family. We like to gamble a little bit and have some fun. But so many pro athletes that come from team sports love the individual part of golf because their entire career and professional career – they never got that opportunity, and I think they're addicted to that juice, for lack of a better word, because now they get to do that. Yeah, and I think that's a great point, Taylor. And one of the things that that I always looked at, you know, baseball was my first love, too. I used to read the box scores. You and I grew up so similarly. and um, um, But one of the things that I missed from the team sport component was – man, it would have been nice to have that 76, but still look at that day as it was a win. You know, you had Absolutely. a bad day, but, you know, you, you you put your clubs in the car and go, man, if I don't shoot 65, I'm not even going to be around for the weekend or, some, or, or maybe I just blew an opportunity to win the tournament. Jay, it's ruthless. It's ruthless, Jay. Like, I don't think people fully understand golf. And the reason why, too, and this is no disrespect to the amateur golfer and to those of you listening, but – Everyone at any age of any shape and size, Jay, they can go play golf. They think they can. You can't go play offensive lineman if you're 5'10", 170. <laughs> you can't. You know what I mean? Athletically, you, are, you have to fit into certain categories to play other sports. If I'm, I, I, try, I thought I was going to be the next Jalen Rose, and then I played next to Larry Hughes my sophomore year of high school, and I was like, hey, you know what, I should probably hang up my basketball shoes. My point is, Listeners at home, you all watch golf and you're like, oh, yeah, whether you're 300 pounds or you're 150 pounds, you can all grab a golf club and you think you can do it. But to do it at the level of where you were and where those guys are, there are a million golfers that are plus point twos like myself. The ones that play on Sunday on the PGA Tour, Jay, I, I just don't think it gets enough credit. And I think if you ask Brett Hall and you ask all these guys that play golf, that played at the highest level of their respective sports, they are sitting there going, wait a minute, this is no joke. And that's why I always chuckle at the Tony Romos of the world. I'm like, listen, Tony, you're a good amateur golfer. Absolutely. But don't, that'd be like Jay Delsing saying, no, I can go play quarterback for the Cowboys. It ain't happening. You know, Taylor, so, there is an insulting component to that when you think of it in those, those terms. I remember playing uh, and Jerry Rice got um, – a sponsor exemption into a, a web.com event out in San Francisco. And I was uh, friends with Chiquita folks that were sponsoring the event. And we met Jerry and everything. And he shows up the first day, 89, 8, 9. Yeah. Almost double snowman. Yeah. And, um, yeah. It, by, by the way, Jerry, those five-foot putts that you get on the weekends, you got the ball needs to hit the bottom of the cup. Like, and, and, but, Jay, there's an addicting part of golf for all of us that play team sports. And it's I love it because I've met so many people that I would have never met because they would have said, oh, he's just a soccer guy, if that makes any sense. But I'm not. I never have been. You know that. Of course. And yet 
golf has brought me into a world where now you meet people, you meet different walks of life. Honestly, it's made my life a little bit more enjoyable because of that. Not because I get to play golf and play these amazing places, but I like meeting different people. I like having conversations, and especially athletes from other sports. But we're all addicted to that little piece of it where if I play well, I win. Jay, there were many games I scored two goals, we lost 3-2. And, and that's that catch, you know, that chicken and egg type of discussion because you, on the other hand, would shoot 71 make the cut and you're sitting there going well if there any if that ball hit the tree and stayed in the fairway or my teammate would have done this it is weird jay because i feel for the golfer where you guys don't have the camaraderie the banter uh the slow moments where you're maybe struggling or they're struggling and you can help each other it's all on you your caddy and playing that golf course that's where golf is extremely unique i love that interview um you could go online uh at jdelsingolf.com and find all these interviews in their entirety and their podcasts and um, um, that's going to wrap up the front nine. Doster, Olam, and Boyle LLC are a proud sponsor of Golf with Jay Delsing here on 101 ESPN. The firm was started in January 2015 by Mike Doster, Jess Olam, and John Boyle, three veterans of the St. Louis real estate, banking, commercial, and corporate legal landscape. The firm was founded on the shared view that success should be measured by client and community satisfaction, not profits for partner. The firm's focus is on business, real estate, corporate, finance and restructuring, and succession planning. Since its founding in 2015, Doster, Olam, and Boyle have been involved in real estate, business, and corporate transactions with a combined value in excess of over $1 billion. For decades, Doster, Olam, and Boyle lawyers have been recognized as leaders in their practice areas by their peers. Doster, Olam, and Boyle, LLC. Extraordinary talent, ordinary people. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements. I want to thank Whitmore Country Club for sponsoring my show, Golf with Jay Delsing. There's 90 holes of golf at Whitmore. If you join out at Whitmore, you get privileges at the Missouri Bluffs, the Links of Dardeen, Golf Club of Wentzville, and all the cart fees are included in that membership. There's no food and beverage minimums and no assessments ever. They've got a great 24-hour fitness center, a large pool complex, three tennis courts, a year-round social calendar that is rocking out at Whitmore. There's kids' clubs, junior golf, junior tennis, swim team available for your children. This is a family-friendly atmosphere, a wonderful staff, and you've got to go to the golf shop and visit my friend, Bummer. He is an absolute treat. Don't forget about the golf leagues, their skin games, members' tournaments. After 25 years on the PGA Tour, Jay Delsing takes you behind the scenes from the eyes of a pro. Now back to more golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. The Back Nine is brought to you by St. Louis Bank. Welcome back. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. Got my buddy, Caddy, uh, John Perlis with me. And, Perley, we are going to the Back Nine, and we got to talk a little bit about Whitmore Country Club and what a great partner they've been with us. 90 holes of golf at Whitmore. Um, if you join at Whitmore, you get access to the uh, Golf Club of Wentzville, the Lynx at Dardeen, Missouri Bluffs, and there are no card fees, all included in your membership. Um, there's no food or, or uh, beverage minimums. There's no assessments. 24-hour fitness center, uh, tennis courts, large pool complex. They've they've just got everything you need. The kids club and the main clubhouse is near the fitness center, and it is 
just a great feature to be able to drop your kids off. They can hang out with other kids. They can play video games. They can play golf or tennis while you guys go enjoy dinner or a cocktail or something fun for you to do. Uh, the year-round social calendar, the holiday parties, picnics, date nights, live music. Um, it's just a family-friendly atmosphere. Bummer in the golf shop is just terrific. And uh, so anything that you need, you got to give Bummer a call. Um, you can go visit them at WhitmoreGolf.com. All right, let's go right to uh, this interview, our third and last of the best of, our David Faraday interview. I hope you enjoy this. I tried to prepare for this, and I, I really feel about as unprepared for this conversation as anything I've ever done. Oh, excellent. Uh, that's the way I like it. You know, I, I don't like uh, I'm uh, so attention deficit that uh, anytime I prepare for something, you know, I always forget what the hell it was I was preparing for. So um, I think we're on the same page. That's probably why we get along so well, which is probably a scary thing. <laughs> yeah, really. It's big. It's, uh, we've got a lot of history, most of which I've forgotten. <laughs> it should be forgotten and won't be spoken of today, that's for sure. You know, I just want to go over just a few things to talk about your golf career a little bit. And I know you're very humble about this, but I, I, I did some research. I mean, 10 worldwide wins, two Ryder Cup appearances for the European team. Um, you know, back in the day, we played for no money. I mean, even in Europe, you guys played for less money than we played, and we weren't playing for anything over in the U.S. And, um, gosh, when I met you, uh, we had so much fun together, and uh, you were playing over here. I know it was a difficult time in your life, and, and this, this TV opportunity came along, and you were really ready to retire, weren't you? Oh, yeah. I was I was more than ready to retire. I was in, uh, you know, it was one of the lowest points of, of my life. Um, I was in the middle of a horrific divorce, uh, a spectacular divorce, you know, back page of the tabloid to the UK and all kinds of things. I was drinking like a halibut. Um, and, um, you know, I got into painkillers, uh, and that's what alcohol was for me. You know, it, it was a painkiller as, as well. You know, so um, when the TV opportunity came, uh, came around, you know, I was only 36 and uh, initially I said to them, look, I think I've got a lot of golf left in me. Uh, you know, I would love to do this job in maybe four or five years. And then they told me how much they were going to pay me. And I said, would you like to buy a set of clubs? <laughs> These are for sale officially as of right now. Oh, that's 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 fantastic. Um, how was the transition? How did you make that transition? It seemed so oh, smoothly to all of us um, to go from you know, playing to, you know, an, an Irish guy. You've been over in the States just a couple of years, and now all of a sudden you're on a, a major network calling golf. Well, um, it, it wasn't really uh, – I don't think you could call it a transition. It, it was such an abrupt halt. I was, uh, I'd won a tournament in some communist country. I don't know where the hell it was. And I qualified for the, the, the World Series um, in 95 or 96, whenever it was. And uh, – I was approached uh, by uh, a couple of gentlemen from CBS uh, at the bar uh, in the in the Hilton uh, in Akron. We were playing at Firestone, and um, I, I don't know what I shot the first round. It wasn't particularly good. And you know, a guy sticks his hand out and said, "We're from CBS." And I thought, "Oh, Jesus, 60 minutes. Um, this is going to be some fearless expose on drugs in sport or something like that." And um, but it turns out Ben Wright had been fired, 
and uh, they were looking for somebody that knew the players on both sides of the Atlantic, that knew the caddies on both sides of the Atlantic. And as you know, um, the caddies are a, a sort of a, they're a vital part of uh, of television uh, televised golf. You know that's where people get most of their information, especially on the golf course. You know hand signals for clubs and you know you know little sort of backstories about the players and you know, things like that. So uh, I just happened to be the right drunk in the in the right bar at the right time. And, uh, you know, I, I said, yes, you know, I'll do it. And, uh, you know, they handed me a microphone two days later, and that was it. You never really looked back, did you? I, I remember talking to you, seeing you probably a year after that, and you said, oh, my gosh, I, man, I don't miss this at all. No, I, I, I've never missed it. Um, and, and, you know, when I, I turned pro at 17 with, with a five handicap, I lied about my handicap so so that I could turn pro, and I never thought uh, that it was what I would do for, for the rest of my life. I thought I'd be lucky to get. Uh, well, I mean, I thought I'd be lucky to ever uh, be be good enough to make a living playing the game. And um, when it came toward the the end of my career, I, I wasn't you know making a living. I was in such bad shape uh, emotionally because of this divorce. And uh, I moved to America, uh, you know, to be with my, my two sons. Uh, I was playing the German Open in 1993, and the woman I was married to just up and, and left, went to Dallas. So that, that's how I ended up in, in this country. I remember talking to you, and I remember some of the heartache that you were going through then and um, and following those boys around is uh, uh, so admirable and exactly what I would have done and just kind of ripped your heart out, I think, at the time. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean it's a tough thing, you know. Being uh, being a professional golfer is, I mean, obviously it's extremely difficult to make a living. You know, the, the, you're surrounded by the best players in the world, uh, but uh, it's very difficult to, to have a home life uh, as well. Uh, to find a balance between the two, and that, that's why I admire, you know, people like Jack Nicklaus. Uh, you know that. Uh, we're, we're able to find the time, you know, in between playing like a genius, you know, to be a, a great father and a great husband as well. Yeah, those examples are there. There's some great examples out there. And, and um, it's a, a cool way to kind of transition to the next topic. You know, when you stopped drinking and you got the, the help from, God, man, some of the what icons the 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 true you know bastions of our game jack nicholas tom watson yeah it really it, it really was a sign of what kind of community we golfers have and and you know some there for some of us we may not have known that really even existed yeah you know the, the, the people out here on on tour and in professional golf and in general and i, I think you know it it, it it transfers over to professional sports. Um, there's tremendous empathy and and uh, a great deal of support, um, uh, obviously in team sports, but especially in individual sports and a, and a, a game like golf, which is uh, it can be incredibly lonely both on and off the golf course. But uh, Jack Nicklaus and, and, and Tom Watson were both really uh, instrumental, especially Tom, who, who has been. Uh, such a great friend you know like a big brother to me over, over the last uh, 15 years um he has been you know there for me every time i've been done and, and you know that's that's been a lot well I, I tell you david it reminds me of um 
I know you remember when when uh, the late Payne Stewart went down in the plane crash and we turned around. I think we were playing in Orlando. Uh, we just finished the Disney event, and I think he died the next day, and we turned around for, um, for the funeral a few days later. And it was eye-opening to me as a younger guy to see what the golfing community looked like and what they how how they showed up and what that looked like for for that event and then you know thinking about what these guys did for you and the support you've got it's it's a pretty cool thing that otherwise I may not have known yeah it, it really is you know that, that you know particular occasion was you know it's something that I I think I think about it a lot, you know, when I'm on a golf course, I think about pain, um, especially when it comes to the Ryder Cup or uh, the Open Championship. You know, he, uh, I, I kind of looked after him when, when he came to the UK and, uh, you know, showed him around and, and spent a lot of time with him. And, and he did exactly the same for me, you know, when I came to the United States. God, he was a, boy, has he missed. Uh, what a personality and what a, what a talent. Um Let's talk a little bit about your show. You guys, are, you've just finished your eighth full season of your show. Wow, a hundred episodes. Yeah. You've hit these milestones. I mean, how the hell, how the hell did you do this? I mean, I look at the people, Bud, that you've interviewed, and I look at the list of guests. You know, I keep waiting for my invitation, but I, I guess the mail just doesn't deliver this way. <laughs> and I, I just, I mean, why do these people want to come on and, and talk with you? You know that that's a, an exceptionally good question, and I I don't like most exceptionally good questions. I don't know the answer to it. Um, I, mean, I, I think it's got a, a lot to do though with um, you know the, the game is, is it's like heroin. Uh, people get addicted to it, and and you know the one thing that uh, you know is the, is the common thread. Obviously, uh, you know, in my show is people have to be, whether they're an actor or a musician, a politician or, or an athlete, uh, uh, you know, they have to have an interest in golf. I mean, that, that's it. I mean, they don't even have to play very much, you know, to be on my show. But people want to talk about it. They, they, they want to talk about the game. And uh, in that process, you know, they end up talking about themselves. And uh, it's... Uh, it, I, I just ask the first question and, and then I listen. Uh, you know, I, I love uh, interviewers, uh, you know, people like Johnny Carson and uh, uh, Michael Parkinson was uh, kind of an idol of mine uh, growing up. I used to love his show in the UK. Uh, Graham Norton, you know, as well. It, it's they all have one thing in common. It, it's they listen. Um, you, you get a lot of uh, uh, interviewers that uh, have got questions in mind, and they're determined, you know, to, to get them over. And it, it's almost as if they they, they don't uh, listen to, to the answer to the previous question. You know, they're so keen on, on getting the next one in. The, the, the show has been incredible. And the thing that, that, that um, for me, that I love the most about the show, but is somehow you've managed through the game of golf – to connect with these extraordinary people. And I look at, I just look at myself and just go, man, I'm 58 years old. I've never had an honest job in my life. And yeah, it's yeah, this game. Me I, too. I mean, it's this friggin' game, and it's un, uncanny how great a game it is. Yeah, it is. You know, it's so addictive. And, uh, you know, we need to keep it that way. Uh, you know, get more women and children involved in it because, 
I remember, you know, growing up, it was my dad that played. And, um, you know, when, when your father plays, you know, generally speaking, you know, a little boy or whatever will come along and that kind of thing. But if your mother plays, you know, the whole family shows up. And uh, th- that's, uh, I think that's really important. Yeah, if you get the backbone of that family, and, and, and more times than yeah. not, at least in my estimation, you know, these these women are the backbone of the family, and they're going to they're gonna herd those cats in that direction. And uh, I, I'm a, you know, I have four daughters. You know, I'm a huge proponent of, um, of you know, the gals trying to get involved in the game. And uh, hopefully through this show we can, you know, let them understand that the men play just as poorly as they do. They just don't care as much. And the women are a little more self-conscious about it. Yeah, I had forgotten that you have four girls. Man, you are living in a sea of estrogen. <laughs> Swimming. It's, uh, it's uh, oh, man, yeah, only a few of us are that lucky. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about the Troops First Foundation. I have had the <coughs> sincere privilege um, through you to be involved in very, very, very small ways. Um, some tournaments that we've done down in San Antonio with some heroes. Tom Capel, Sergeant Major Tom Capel, retired U.S. Army, is one of the neatest people I've ever met. I hope to have him on the show later. Um, got to see him again. We, I we, think that's a great idea. Yeah. I would love to hit his perspective, David, and, and let people hear about golf, hear about his stories and how these things intertwine and some of the things that you guys have done with Troops First and uh, it just I come out of those rooms after listening to him, just being around him, sitting around having a beer with him. And it's I just feel like I'm a better person. I feel like I'm stronger. I'm motivated. I, I uh, it's uh, it's pretty incredible. I mean, I know you've done a, a concert or more than a one concert with George Strait. Um, my personal favorite thing that you guys do only because it's um, really how we connected was is the 24 seven battle buddies. These these dogs that are. Oh man, instrumental in changing these these heroes' lives and helping them get back into kind of some sort of normalcy in their life is just incredible. But you have Operation Proper Exit, you're building homes. I mean, how did you get involved in this? And and, and I know this is about your this is your eighth year in that, isn't it? Yeah, um, it, it's uh, it's a derivative, I think, of of uh, where I grew up, Jay. Uh, you know, I, I, I grew up in a war zone in the uh, 60s and, and 70s and 80s in uh, in Northern Ireland when there were, you know, troops on the street and roadblocks and uh, checkpoints and bombs going off and uh, sectarian murders, uh, you know, every, you know, day or, or uh, you know, it seemed like that, you know, at the time. And it, it didn't feel abnormal to me. That's just the way the world was. And uh, when I moved to the United States, uh, you know, I fell in love with this place so quickly. And uh, when 9-11 happened, I, I was horrified at the thought of, of things like that happening here. Uh, I couldn't bear the thought of it of it coming here. You know, so uh, it took me a while to, to figure out what I wanted to do, but uh, I ended up going to uh, Iraq uh, in I think 2006 uh, to entertain, you know, the, our, our troops, and they were they weren't my troops at the time because I was I wasn't yet an, uh, an American citizen, but uh, I, I came back from uh, Iraq stunned 
at, at the quality of, of the, the the kids that we have out there and, and the job that they were doing under the most difficult of circumstances. You know, things like the restraint that they showed on a daily basis, uh, not pulling the trigger. Uh, and the love they had for each other, the compassion they had for the people in, in Iraq. And uh, I, I needed to do two things. I, I needed to be an, an American citizen and uh, so I could call them my troops. And um, I, I needed to, to try to do something for them when they came home broken. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's all very well. I've been to Iraq a couple of times and to Afghanistan. Uh, you know, you spend a week there and you go around forward operating bases and they fly around in helicopters surrounded by special forces. And it's, it's the most incredible privilege, you know, to, to be over there. You know, and they thank you for being there all the time. And, and in one of the common threads... Um, is uh, is golf. Uh, every forward operating base has, has some kind of a range, whether that's just whacking it into a net or or uh, hitting balls into the desert. Uh, you know, we were at a forward operating base uh, on the Syrian border called Korean Village, and uh, I ended up on the roof of of the chaplain, uh, his uh, his hut, and uh, I remember it was the Reverend Tim Ferry. And uh, there's a big Marine up there. Tom Watson was giving him lessons. And we were sitting in deck chairs, uh, you know, watching. They they broke open glow sticks and poured them over the golf balls. And they were like tracer bullets going out into the Arabian night, which is (laughs) so black. Uh, You know, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, what what an unbelievable moment, you know, a a time to be able to spend, you know, and see this, this, you know, just incredibly unusual uh, thing, a, be- a beautiful thing like that. Well, probably that that wraps up our best of. Um, when I think about the six we chose, we had a lot of fun interviews this year. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, interesting where some of the interviews went, some of the uh, subject matter that came up, and you got the who's who of St. Louis sports of the golf world. Pretty exciting for the first year. I'm concerned what the heck you're going to do to follow all this up. We, what we well, are going to do. Oh, yeah, you picked up on that. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want that pressure. I don't want that pressure. Well, that's going to do it for the show. Pearly, thanks so much for being with me today. Me, thanks so much for keeping us together. Um, the best of. Lots of great stuff. Come, come back with us next week. This is Golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. Hit him straight, St. Louis. That was Golf with Jay Delsing, brought to you by Whitmore Country Club. Tune in next Sunday for more from Jay, John, and the other pros and experts from the golf world. In the meantime, you can find all of Jay's shows at 101ESPN.com, as well as at jdelsinggolf.com. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. It's crazy to think that a few weeks ago we were talking about whether or not Tua Tagovailoa should consider retiring After two concussions and worldwide debates on player safety and NFL culpability, Tua has done nothing but go back to work and currently has the Dolphins riding a three-game win streak and one loss behind the division favorite Buffalo Bills. While everyone was yapping about the end of his career, Tua Tagovailoa said he'll decide when it's time. And clearly, he's not ready to hang up the cleats. Hi, this is Chris Howard from the Plugged In with Chris Howard podcast. BetOnline.net is your number one source for betting football and the start of the new basketball season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every game. BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting up to the minute scores for every the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including the MLB playoffs, the start of the NHL season, MMA, boxing, and golf. 
And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.